0: Right. I'm on partially. Try it again. How about now? Okay. All right. So we're going to do chapter 13 today. That is on page 98 in the study guide. So we talked about chapter 12. Had a good discussion about that. I. The analogy of the body fits in so many ways, like I like the, one of the things that Josh pointed out, where when one part of the body hurts, the entire body responds, which I think that's a really good parallel for how it ought to be. And, and Raymond brought up, he asked it as a question, but I think it's a good point, which was that we oftentimes focus on um, the us making sure that we treat everyone like the body, that we mean we have to serve everybody else. But the flip side of that is we need to be ready to ask for help too, and I, so I think that's a good point to keep in mind as well. All right, and I think that's, oh, for, what day is it, Wednesday? On Sunday, we're going to do chapter 14, so that's the plan, by the way. And with that said, then John's going to lead us in a prayer.
1: Dear Lord, we love you and thank you for the love that you have given to us all throughout our lives. For both your mercy and your justice, we thank you for Jesus, who was example of the, of the of the ultimate form of love and and of your love for us. We pray that you'll fill us with your Spirit, seeking us to open with your Word. Help us to to see what you have.
0: A few years ago, there were some people who were in church having a Bible study on a Wednesday night. The door was open and a visitor came in and initially people were happy that somebody from the community came. But then the visitor pulled out a gun and started shooting. And by the time he was done, nine of the people in the congregation were dead. Two days later during the arraignment hearing, several of the victims' families spoke up One person asked him to study with him and said that he wished that he would give himself to God so that the shooter would be okay. Another said, may God bless you. Another said, we have no room for hate. We have to forgive. One woman said, we welcomed you Wednesday night in our Bible study with open arms. We enjoyed, as we said in Bible study, we enjoyed you. But then she asked that God would have mercy on this person's soul. What was weird is that when they did the investigation on why, what was the shooter's motivation, they said that he thought he was going to trigger a race war. And I I thought about what must have been going through his head when he's sitting in that arraignment hearing, hearing these people after he had victimized them and to hear them say that they didn't want to have a war, right? They weren't willing to fight. And one of the things when you, when I was watching the, the arraignment hearing, one thing you realize is that the the difference about with people who are willing to forgive is not the level of pain that they endured. Right? People talked about how they, they didn't have their sons, they didn't have their daughters, they didn't have their wives or their husbands. So it wasn't that the amount of pain was less. It was that something else in them was stronger than the pain. There was a I, and it was weird too because I went back and read this. I'd forgotten it was only two days. After the shooting, right, the, the wound was very fresh when they were saying this. There was a guy who was talking to an atheist, and he would seen the same video I had seen, and so he sent it to his atheist friend. And his atheist friend said, he said, as an atheist, I admit, he said, I do not get grace. But whatever grace was, that was it. And you think about what he said. I think he said something that was more, my own all over the place on my mic, but, we're, we're having a ton of IT goodness. Oh, I'm going to have to hold the mic Who's now. this one all batteries. Oh, it's probably batteries. Yeah. I think that that atheist recognized, maybe more than he thought, that he said that as an atheist, he doesn't get grace. And the reality is, is that this kind of grace does not come naturally to us. And what the opposite of it, coming naturally is that it comes supernaturally. So maybe that's why he actually hit something there. Like in his worldview, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But it makes sense in a different one. When we talk about chapter 13, we're going to find that Paul is prioritizing the fruit of the Spirit over the gifts of the Spirit. So this is chapter 13 would be the, I think it's the climax of 1 Corinthians 15. Or maybe you could put it a different way is that Remember, this is a church that had a lot of spiritual gifts. They've had healings. They've all this stuff. And Paul's saying that love is actually more miraculous than miracles. Is there someone who would be willing to read this? By the way, it's short. It's only 100. It's the shortest chapter in 1 Corinthians, which is kind of funny. Okay. Uh, Nina's going to read it for us. It's 198 words in Greek. Now, I mean, don't, don't read it in Greek. Because that would be <laughs> That would be weird.
2: And all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, is not jealous, does not brag, is not puffed up, it does not act in does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account the wrong side. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, holds all things, endures all things. Blood never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see see and mirror inward, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now, the faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love.
0: All right. What stuck out to you? Or was there questions that you had? Yes, Roy. You made Mike walk all the way back then. It isn't the action
3: itself, it's
4: the heart.
0: Yeah, this is true. And that's one thing, so I've actually when I first came to Avon, I was trying to figure out what's different here, and I actually wrote this paper kind of analyzing it. I sound really a lot like an engineer when I say it like that, but one of the things I noticed about you all is that you actually, you we talk about actions, but we kind of dig a little deeper. Right? Actions matter, but you've got to dig deeper to what was the cause of that action. And I've, I've noticed that's different here, at least that's with my observation. Yes, right. Yeah, I, I totally agree, and I, I'm like you. I don't have a problem with somebody reading this at a wedding. I mean, clearly that's fine. But I, I like the word. I laughed a little bit at the word quagmire. <laughs> that's actually a good way to put it. Here's what didn't happen. They're not like Paul. Write us a piece of poetry about what love is. Like this comes at the end of a book where it probably had a different, different feeling when they were hearing it for the first time. Uh, yes, Alan.
5: I was touched this time by uh, if I give away so much of life is preparing to give away. We give away seasons. We give away in our life. We prepare our life to give away our possessions and things. Sometimes we give away to the poor around us. And yet, love, what if it were said he wasn't a great man uh, of <laughs> one of those guys that gives it all away, but he loved loved, would that not be better to say of someone than look at all they have acquired and given away?
0: I, I agree, because if you think about it, think about what you want, said it about you at your funeral. And you could read off all the stuff that they gave away. And so this person gave this, they gave this much to charity and so forth. But would you want that said, or would you want to say, they loved other people, as evidenced by the fact that this, these things happened, right? That would be the better way to put it. I mean, that's what I would want said. I don't want just you reading my resume, you know, <laughs> which is just read off the stuff I did. That's one thing. I, I would hope that people would see the bigger picture of that. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, Nina. The thing that jumped
2: out at me is it's more than what we think it is. It's not emotionally. It over because it overcomes
0: way too much in this chapter just to be something emotional. I, I amen to that. If it was just a feeling, it's too easy, right? It's just, it, we all know that life is not that easy. I mean, think about those people who were asking this person, telling this person that they want him, the shooter, to be made right with God. Did that feel like the right thing? Feelings were not the, What was going on there it was something bigger than that. Yeah, I agree with you. What else, John?
1: I heard a discussion earlier today this Jewish guy who was basically saying he's not sure he believes the idea of unconditional love. Like he points to multiple so pastors about like, well, if you if you do what's right, then you'll get blessings of God, and not that you won't, right? So that kind of idea. And so I know it's here. It's love uh, versus. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. So I wonder if there's anything, uh, just, I don't know, I hear that a lot, unconditional love, like, it's kind of saying, like, this idea of love isn't quite the idea of unconditional love. Uh, I don't know if that's, like, not the right word, but with love. I um,
0: Yeah, no, that's a good question, because we, we use that phrase, and I think several people could, you could use that phrase and it means something right. And you could use the exact same phrase, and mean something wrong. It probably depends on how you define the term. So what do you think about it? Do you get his question? Like, is unconditional love a good thing? I mean, like I said, it talks about loving the truth. So how does that all factor in? Misha? That's, that's a good point. Because, I mean, think about how you would want to be loved as one who loves the truth. You would want somebody to tell you when you've gotten it wrong, right? Uh, yes.
2: Verse 2. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all the and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Those last three words
0: really stood out. Nothing. Short and sweet. Yeah, Paul does not equivocate. <laughs> A good point. Uh, so, so
2: uh, just going off of what Peter was just saying, I totally get behind that, and I love the verse John the red, I love retracing the truth. But what gets me is verse five. Irritable.
0: Well I think we this is one of those things where you spend your entire life realizing to what degree you don't have a grasp on. Yes, correct.
4: Do you not rejoice
0: Well, you said maybe somebody's gone through that list. Well, I have one. I mean, some of them cross many areas, but like you said, the words even line up. I mean, he says it's not puffed up. Well, he said they were puffed up in chapter 8. He says it's not rude. That's the same word in Greek that he used in chapter 7. He says it's not self-serving chapter 10 is when he said so when you read it like this this is kind of what so brian you point how we read this at weddings which is fine there's nothing wrong with that but sometimes we read this, we read this out of context where you think it's like oh love you know feels like that i think when they heard this they're like oh <laughs> this is pointed at them and they knew that it was pointed at them alan
5: talk about revelation of knowledge talk about <coughs> mirror within, face, and how that verse 12 now but then face now i As then the kind of love he's talking about, then we have fully revealed to us how much more ought we to love.
0: Oh, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. You know, and I like this, too, because this part of, of chapter 13 fits very similar with what he did in chapter 8, verses 2 through 3, where he's talking about knowledge. And Paul does two things. One, he shifts the conversation from knowledge to love. And he shifts the direction of knowing from you knowing something to God knowing you, okay? And he kind of does that here. He says, as I have been fully known, right? This is a very, it's a kind of a flip, just like he does back in chapter 8. Bob.
5: Okay, I've got to ask you the question that you read, for 10 that, that was true.
0: okay but when what is okay so that which is perfect so your question is what does that refer to what do you guys think do you, do you see like the deflection there by the way <laughs> out. yeah it's a good question and my NET renders it but when what is perfect comes the partial will be set aside so in that case it reads a little bit differently and what did your translation say
5: When
0: the
2: perfect comes, the
0: partial will pass away. Yeah, and I guess my initial way that I just kind of parse this, and I I think now that you bring this up, I think this is something I should have questioned more, is he's he's distinguishing partial and perfect, so incomplete and complete, which is what perfect means, us. And then as he goes on, he talks about how we see in a mirror indirectly. That sounds like partial to me. Then we will see face-to-face, so that sounds like perfect. And he kind of says, I know in part, partial. And he says, and I will know fully, complete. So I figured that's what he was referring to, but I feel like that still doesn't totally answer your question. But Nina to the rescue. I have a cross-reference
2: here. It says, that which is perfect comes in, or that which is mature. So if you look at it as that which is mature, in all of these things, if you have have that apartment, if you don't have love, then you haven't reached the maturity yet that you you should reach in order to fully know and renown and serve. And
0: yeah, and that's a good point because teleos is translated mature... Or perfect, and both definitions are totally legit with the Greek word. So you have to use context to distinguish. And what you said would fit because I mentioned how partial and completed other parts, but I had skipped over the part where he talks about thinking like a child, which would fit the maturity aspect. So I guess the question then would be is perfect, what is perfect comes? So then is he referring to just their maturity here that you could have maturity on earth or is he saying the completeness that you would get in the end of time when you're resurrected? Because he does actually seem simply point to that one and says, as I have been fully known. Hmm, I don't know. Yes.
3: faith and hope is also something guess pointing
5: towards ultimate fulfillment in heaven and then love is the thing that lasts
3: forever.
0: Okay, that's a good point. Yes. That, and that would clearly fit because he does actually distinguish that the, some of them are transcendent in time, meaning they w- will last forever, i.e. love. And other ones are not as transcendent because they don't go as long. Therefore, they're partial, if you will. Which would have been a surprise, because they were probably like, we have all these spiritual gifts, you know, this is great. And Paul's like, actually, you need to work on another gift. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. All right, any other questions or comments on any of that? Yeah. Yeah, and this fits the point before. He said, I am nothing if I don't have these things. You, you think, we've arrived. Look what all the stuff we've got. It's like, no, you're, that's, that's, you're focused on the wrong things. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about how this all answers some of the prior issues. This is question number six. So how does the chapter fit with the flow of thought that Paul is developing, has been developing in 1 Corinthians? How does this answer the issues that he sees? What are your thoughts on that? He's funny. One of of the issues that we see in the Corinthian church is an unwillingness to surrender. And think about unconditional love. When you think in combat terms, you hear of unconditional surrender. Um, And they're not willing to give up their liberty feeling obligated to take one another to court. And so uh, love is complete surrender of self will Yeah, I, I, I like that. That's true. We used the word yield before, how they should have yielded to each other and they were unwilling to do that. Raymond? He's getting it. Yeah, you could go through, it seems like, you could go through all the things where he's ta- he's, when he's setting up the contrast. And you could take each of these things and you could define a scenario where people could have them without having the right heart. You could give your body to be burned for the wrong reasons. So you could think of ways reasons that are the case. But you can't do that with actual love. But the flip side of that is also you can't have love without having corresponding works where you want to do it for the right reasons. So you get a two for one if you, if you get love. I think one thing that Russ pointed out, he's like, if you go through the the negative list, remember he says, love is, love is not. And you take the is not list and you look back at all the issues, you could find that they lined them up. And then he made the point that Paul chose that list because he solved these problems in the congregation, right? And that's why I think when you read this in context, you realize They probably this message probably landed a little differently with them when they were first hearing this. You know, this would have been a harder message to take than just a piece of poetry. Any other questions or comments on that? So let's talk about how does this chapter align with things that you've read in the gospel? Or in the rest of the New, and you can include the Old Testament as well if you like. How does this align? Yeah, I like that. Well, I, how would you put it? It was the hardest thing to do, but it's something that anyone can do. I, I think that, that actually nails it, too. Yet I think this fits something, Alan, and you had you brought up about how you could have somebody say, I, I can remember what, exactly how you put it, where if you had somebody like at their funeral and they say, I gave $10 million to, to some charity so they're from a good person. Well, first of all, it doesn't prove that. He's like, not everybody can give $10 million in charity because they don't even have $10 million in charity. So it's, it's, not, it's not scalable. Not most people can't do that. Love can fit many, many different contexts. Uh, yes?
5: I think, you know, just looking at this chapter, I think we see a lot of Jesus. I am you know, God, you know, the attributes of God in this, and in Jesus, he gave up everything. Why he loves And just all of these attributes about love, they get to with team. And who are we to imitate? And follow?
0: Yeah. I think to your point, 1 Corinthians, you could do a, a study guide and almost say that 1 Corinthians is the gospel applied to real life because it, it, it lines up that closely. Jesse? or Mitch. Yeah, so... Yeah, that's a good way to put it, because it's, it reminds me of something that actually Mitch, you said a while ago, where you were talking about how there are certain things that are good to do in our lives, and this is what we're talking about, spiritual gifts, these are good things, but when you think about them, you realize that some of these things cannot be the ultimate thing, because you could take them too far. If you can take it too far, it's not the ultimate thing, and I, I, I think Mitch you brought up the being a good father, it's like, I'm such a good father, I stay home all day and I'm with my kids all day. Well, okay, somebody's got to make the money. Okay, that's how this is going to work. So that would be a case where you take them too far. But you could say, I'm such a good employer, I never come home. Well, that's another extreme. What is something that you can do that you cannot take too far? Love, right? This is why love never ends. You, can, you can't go too far with it. Nina. In Matthew
2: 7, 22, it says, many will say to me on that day, your name done many miracles, and people said to them, I never knew you depart from me, you practice lawlessness. So that's Jesus himself saying, you can have all of these things and still not have love. And you practicing lawlessness.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. You know, that reminds me of another passage. It's Luke chapter 10. And because it, it involves people doing these signs as well. And, I, and I, I, this popped in my head because I remember there was a preacher who, he was well known, he was a known writer, people would invite him in. And then he had some health issues, he couldn't get out. And this journalist came to him and, and asked him, well, what do you, how do you feel now that you're on the shelf? And he said, Luke chapter 10 verse 20, where Jesus says, Rejoice not that you cast out demons. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. And I wonder what that journalist was thinking. Like, What? Okay. Go back and read the story. He does, Jesus does something very similar there. Where he sends out the apostles, the 72, or the, the 72 he sends out. And they come back and like, this was great. We were casting out demons left and right. I mean, this was, this was a good week. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. Jesus stops them and he says, Rejoice not for that reason. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. It's like, I I want you to keep these things in the right order, okay? You need to remember the big picture here, the transcendent things, because that casting of demons is not actually the transcendent thing. Uh, Alan?
5: Um, Think of a couple of things. In John 15, he talks about them no longer being called servants but being called friends, because he shared with them what he's learned of the Father. And then he tells them to love one another. Right before the verse where he says, world will you. and then i think of hebrews talking about the more excellent way more excellent way and that's the verse that led into chapter 13. let me tell you a more
0: excellent mm. way yeah good point i hadn't actually thought of the way that that connects tight tighter than it might appear in first first blush uh right reminds me of the resurrection We're going to... i like that maybe because i'm an engineer but it's not just a restart it is a factory reset with new firmware right it's a totally different thing Yeah, that's a good point, because like, chapter 15 is coming. It's not that far down the road. If I you mentioned this, too, because I, I saw this. There was something on Twitter where was a New Testament scholar, and he said, I told my students about how that you're, you're going to be resurrected, and that means with the bodies. I mean, you're a ghost floating around, and they look at him shocked. And like, this is the first time we've heard this, and he's like, Platonism has really done a number, because <laughs> that's, that's Paul's view on it, which then fits back with why you're supposed to do something right with the body now okay so the issue with our world is not that they think too much of the body in many cases they think too little of it right we have to remember this is the body is the temple this josh your point how you were talking to that person i can't remember how you put it but when you got to that point about the body being the temple that was really impactful for them i i think that's exactly why we should get this right yes oh you actually got the mic too perfect
6: oh yeah Have Jesus making statements like, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So we have a sacrifice, but in order to partake in that sacrifice, gaining forgiveness, gaining salvation, there are conditions for how we should act.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. Because think about those people who were willing to forgive somebody who shot their child. Is that unconditional love? They were asking him to come to Jesus. So, okay, you want to call that a condition or not? They recognize that this person has to change. But, you know, if somebody's willing to forgive somebody who killed their own child two days after it happened, I don't know, in some sense that means unconditional love even while they're asking him to change his condition. I don't think there's an intention. Raymond. get if you you can. we can fall into a trap of thinking that religion is the way that def- the world oftentimes define it on a technically cornea lexicon christianity is kind of a religion in a certain sense but i know what you're talking about how because you ask people what do you think the gospel is it's weird you should do it like if, if somebody who doesn't know what the gospel is you'll almost hear always hear something about how you do enough good things you'll go to heaven That's what the world thinks religion is. So if that's what you mean by being religious, this is actually how the world oftentimes defines it, unfortunately. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, an atheist will say that. And you know what? That doesn't surprise me, because the people who should actually get this right would be the people who are not atheists, because they're in this. They know that it's deeper than that. I know.
2: In verse 6, it says it does not rejoice in righteousness, but rejoices with truth. And, and what, what, I, what I said, the first thing I thought of is there has to be something more than emotion. And then the Apostle John over in John 3 says, For I rejoice greatly when brothers came and were witness to your truth. That is how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this to hear that my children are walking in truth. We love you are acting faithfully in whatever work you do for the brothers and are doing this through though they are strangers and they were witness to your love before the church. So it, it is walking in truth.
0: Yeah, yeah totally. This has to be this kind of goes back to the conscience where we tended to focus on the emotional aspect, we should mean the full human, right? Heart, mind, and soul, everything has been turned over to God. Yes, Greg?
4: Yeah, I did. the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. It's this, we demonstrate our appreciation for the love He showed to us. We, you know, we did not earn that, there was nothing that we did to prompt Him to do it, but we show Him that we appreciate it by loving other people, and by loving Him, and doing what He says. And it's this sick, it should be a cyclical thing, Um, because otherwise, if we don't do anything with it, he's, he's sent us such a wonderful gift, and we are basically sent "No, I don't, I don't really need that love of, of yours, um, and how, how dare we. Um, so yeah, First John is great. Uh, it's a study of what love looks like, after Paul has then described how it's defined in 1 John.
0: Yeah, and in First John... He does something similar to Paul does, which he flips that, that point of knowing, right? Because in first John four ten and four sixteen he talks about it's not how about how we loved him, but how he loved us. That's where the transformation comes in. And we have to realize that when you want that freedom from sin, you can't just mean freedom from the past deeds of sin. You have to mean freedom from the slavery of sin going forward. It's the whole package, it's either the whole thing or it's nothing at all. And I think that fits this, that fits too how with Raymond, your point about hope. Because I do think, I can't remember how you put it, I do think that we need to remind ourselves of that hope. So sometimes I think our sin, our sins come from the fact that we don't have that hope in front of us as much as we should. So I did this experiment a while ago where I thought, I'm going to try to remind myself over and over and over again and make some observations that I'm saved. Because there's just, it depends the kind of personality you are. I'm not the type of person who's just always like, oh, of course I'm going. I'm just like, yeah, but I'm, 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 There's so much farther to go. It's like, question that. So I'm like, I'm going to lay all that aside. I'm just going to do experiments experiment, see what happens. I'm just going to act as if I'm 100% confident. And you know what's weirder? It's weird because sometimes you hear people who think that having that confidence will be like, you'll just want to get away with things. I thought it was precisely the opposite. It was like me knowing that there is no fear of missing out. I wonder how many of our sins, was because, it's like, this is my only chance I'll ever get this. like, no, see, what you... You are not going to miss out on anything if you get to where you want to go. I wonder how many times that has actually drawn us down. So I found it was precisely the opposite. It was actually more motivating. Misha. Oh, you can totally change the subject. We we don't follow a strict agenda. (laughs) I like the two because that means it puts the onus on us which I think is the right way to think about it, and like, put it we're the ones who tend to love un- conditionally not him right uh, let's see Raymond Yes. We should not assume that those accusations actually come from God. A lot of times, I think that's what happens. And I, what, I like one of the things that Paul does here. And you, you, at the start of what you were saying, fit this: is that Paul doesn't just say get rid of the sins. He's like dig deeper and fix that underlying problem. Like you can't just get rid of the problem and leave a vacuum. You've got to replace it with the positive aspect. And I, I've read so many books, where I start to realize. I think some people who've written these books have gotten it wrong. I've read several books on, on dealing with, well I've had some, some of you read books about making sense out of sex within the gospel story. And I remember reading this book, and the guy was somebody who had a lot of problems with sexual sin in the past. And I thought, as I'm reading this, I think the guy still had a problem. Because there was one point in it, he said, I have to constantly remind myself not to look at my sisters in a, not to look at their breasts, is what he said. That's frankly what I said. And I thought, I was sit, sitting there thinking, See, I, stay, I think he still had a problem. And I think what he did is that he, he was stopping the actions, but he was left with the deformity, probably of years of falling in lust. Okay, the, the solution is not to stick with the deformity and keep trying to control it. It's to try to twist that where you're not looking at your sisters as merely a piece of meat. You have to start to twist that where it starts to go back. And I'm not saying it's fast, okay? This was somebody who had a really messed up past, so I get it, I'm not expecting a fast turn, but he's writing a book telling people this, and I'm reading this thing and I, th- I think you still a problem here. And I don't know if he could even see it at that point. Uh, yes?
5: I was contemplating there on the face-to-face at that which is perfect. And Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Seeing God was something the pure in heart were, were guaranteed. When would they see God? Well, in the future, sure. But I think when we hear in this verse, we see God face to face in His law of liberty, His love, in His revealed word. We are seeing Him face to face, and we ought to take such great joy in that. They didn't have that face to face that we can see so clearly, not as a child, but as an adult.
0: Yeah, that's a good point, because I've always thought, it was like, you will see God if you're pure in heart, like, uh oh. <laughs> Because I'm still, i a work in progress. But the other way to look at this is like, no, you will be made pure at heart, and then you will, then you will see God. I hadn't thought of, quite thought of it quite that way. Any other questions or comments? You got thirty seconds. Unless, okay, John Cryline. Remember, we're talking about spiritual gifts here. And so the implication is, you could use spiritual gifts wrong. Read through First Corinthians, you'll find examples where this happened. Or knowledge, right? Where knowledge was misused. And it almost makes it, in some ways, more dangerous when it looks good, because you, you let your guard down, right? It looks like it's right, but it turns out it could be used in a wrong way. All right. Thanks, y'all. And we're going to do chapter 14 next.